Good morning. All right. Okay, so a few weeks ago we started to open up Ezekiel chapter 1. And the thought behind doing this was the political situation we find ourselves in, the aggressive advance of immorality in our culture, potential loss of freedoms that we love in our country. It's been pretty unsettling the last year and a half with COVID and all of the things that have shocked our culture in the last year and the trials and tribulations around us. And we can be tempted to anxiety, worry, nervousness. If we watch too much news, if we have our hearts meditating too much on the things that we hear reported on a daily basis, and it's good for us to come away from the news. News is instant these days. Notifications of the latest things that our headlines come across our phones and we can easily get wrapped up and caught up in everything around us and soon find ourselves being really worried, really anxious about the situation we find ourselves in. And the thought behind these messages is the name Adonai, the name for God, one of many names that God is known by in Scripture, Adonai. And we find in Ezekiel, we can't review everything from two weeks ago for the sake of time, but we find in Ezekiel that nowhere is this name for God used more in the Old Testament than in Ezekiel. And we should ask the question, why? And that's what we did last time. And we saw that Ezekiel was ministering, was prophesying in a time where the nation of Israel was, was pretty much gone or on its way out. He was taken to Babylon in exile with Daniel and the other young leaders in Israel. They were taken to Babylon. And he ministered among the exiles in that place. So he did not prophesy in Israel. And he began his ministry around the time when he would have started temple service. He was the son of a priest. And the Lord revealed himself in Ezekiel 1 when he was aged 30, which would have begun his temple service, but there was no opportunity for him to do that. And the exiles of Israel are in Babylon. And certainly there were many there who were not believers, but there were the remnant that God had. And Ezekiel is ministering to them, and he's ministering to all of the Israelites. And this name for God would have communicated comfort to those believing Israelites like Ezekiel, like Daniel, who found themselves in a foreign land that worshipped foreign gods, watching the dissolution of their nation, and in their minds, maybe the last light, flickering light of God's light in the world. And so I think this vision in Ezekiel 1, this name for God, Adonai, clearly communicated comfort to God's people, and it should communicate comfort to us. What does the name mean? It means that God is the supreme ruler of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that He, no matter what we experience politically, humanly speaking, in our experience, He is still upon His throne, ruling over the events of history, 
and currently ruling in our own day. And that should bring us comfort. No matter who our president, no matter what's happening in the world, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been set upon the throne of thrones. And nothing is bothering Him. Nothing is causing our Savior anxiety. Nothing is causing the Lord worry. And so, brethren, we should absorb that and think about that. And that should communicate peace to our hearts that no matter what we go through politically and culturally, everything is going to be okay. So we looked at the meaning of the name Adonai, and today we begin to open up the manifestation of Adonai. And as I look at your outline... I'm looking at you know two to three sermons I preached. I'm trying to get it into one, but I'm not going to force it. We're going to go through and see how far we get, and uh, maybe if the opportunity presents itself in the future, I'll come back up and finish this if need be. The manifestation of Adonai. So if you could turn to Ezekiel chapter 1 with me, we'll begin to open this up. Ezekiel chapter 1, and let's bow our heads again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you we can look to you for grace and for mercy in our hour of need. And whenever we come to preach the word of God, we need you, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to come and to fill fill preacher and hearer alike, that this time would be improved upon, that you would use it for your glory and your ends in our life and in our heart, that we would be sanctified, that we would be encouraged by the things that we consider here in this passage that our hearts would be lifted up to eternal things, that our hearts would be lifted up to heaven today from this world, Lord, and all the discouragements that we find here. Give us a vision, Lord. Give us a sense of what Ezekiel experienced, that we might find comfort and grace, and we might be sanctified in our thinking and in our life. And also use it, Lord, to instill the fear of God in those who don't know you yet. For certainly the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as we consider this vision, we have reason to fear you and to worship you. For you indeed are almighty. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And we're going to just read this as we work through the passage. Now it came about in the 30th year on the fifth day of the fourth month while I was by the river Chabar. Among the exiles, the heavens were opened. And I saw visions of God on the fifth of the month in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. As I looked, behold, a storm wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light around it, and in its midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire. And perhaps this is the vision of God coming from a distance. And it's coming towards Him as the heavens are opened, and God is traveling down from heaven to Ezekiel in vision. And these are the first sights that Ezekiel sees of the coming of God in all of His glory. He's coming in the clouds. We often hear of the Lord described in this way through the Psalms. And even in the New Testament, Jesus spoke of one day coming in the clouds with the angels 
our Lord will return to earth the same way he revealed himself to Ezekiel by the river Chabar. Often God, as you hear this imagery of the cloud, appear to his people this way. You'll remember when he brought them out of Egypt into Israel, it was a pillar of cloud that God was leading them by day to give them shade and fire by night. Here the presence and coming of God is described in similar ways. A cloud coming with flashing lightning, bright light around it. And a bright glow like that of metal in the midst of a fire. Intense heat. Intense fire and brightness. Psalm 104, 3-4 says, He makes the clouds His chariot. He walks on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds His messengers. Flaming fire his ministers. God's chariot is not like man's chariot that has to travel over ground and over terrain. And sometimes that could be difficult for armies depending on the terrain they had to travel on. God's chariot is the clouds. He gets to where he wants to go without any hindrance. Over all of the obstacles that men have to travel in their battles with one another. Now I wonder also if the clouds and the smoke that attend the presence of God in visions like this, and even the incense smoke that you read of burning in the temple constantly before the Lord, did these things serve as a veil to shield men from the majesty and radiance and glory of God so that we could handle something of it? Sort of a symbol of him holding back and hiding himself from from men, lest it be too much and they not be able to handle it. The transfiguration, the brightness of the glory of the Lord, the appearance of the resurrected, exalted Jesus to Saul on the road was too much for him, blinded him. You don't see the cloud there. And Saul immediately loses his eyesight. He's overwhelmed by the vision of the glory of the Lord. Can't handle it. He's humbled to the ground. Humbled as he loses his eyesight. And recognizes that it is the Lord that has appeared to him. The thick cloud is a covering and a cloak to give men only what their weak and sinful eyes can handle. To give them only what their creatureliness can take. We can see only quick flashes of his glory lest we be blinded like Saul. So dreadful and awe-inspiring is God that his enemies, you read in places like Isaiah 19, tremble at his presence and their hearts melt before him when he comes riding on the clouds to execute justice. Just begin to open up this vision. And even seeing God from a distance, we respond, who can stand before our God, brethren? Who will contend with the God of the universe? Who will rebel against this God? And we just begin to open up the vision of what he's like and his glory and his majesty. And it's no wonder the Bible speaks 
in this way that the fear of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You need to understand if you're not in Christ, if you're outside of Christ and in your sin, that you're rebelling, that you're going against a God of incredible majesty and glory. And you need to get a sense and you need to feel in your souls how dangerous it is to contend with God. To have God against you and not for you is not a position you want to be in. You want Him on your side. You want Him with you and for you. And if He is, as we said last time, nothing and no one can be against you. This is God from a distance coming to Ezekiel. And He's glorious even at a distance and majestic. This is the way the Lord Jesus will come back and it will strike fear into the hearts of all who are not right with Him when He comes, as He said before Caiaphas, on the clouds of heaven. We're reminded right at the beginning how overwhelming an experience this must have been for Ezekiel and why really words fail him as he tries to describe what he witnessed, what he saw. And there's no doubt that this vision formed the foundation of Ezekiel's power and courage and strength to perform his prophetic office. Who did he speak on behalf of? It was this King of Kings. This Lord of Lords. Thank you, Bob, for your prayers. You know, some of you may think it's harder to hear preaching than to preach preaching. Harder to be preached to than to preach. You are gravely mistaken. I feel every time I step into this pulpit like Isaiah, who am I? A man of unclean lips. In the midst of a people of unclean lips, my sins come before me. So how do you do it? Why do you do it? Because of God's mercy and God's grace. That's the only reason I dare speak on behalf of this king of glory. This king of majesty, it's because of Christ that we're enabled to do this. And even then, it's not easy to preach God's word, to stand as a mouthpiece for the Almighty. To speak in his name. It's a fearful thing. But no doubt this vision strengthened Ezekiel. And empowered him to preach to a rebellious house. Yes, he preached comfort to that remnant of believing Jews, but there were also many still in rebellion, as we saw last time. Ezekiel means, the word means, God strengthens. That's what his parents named him. And when you read Ezekiel 1 and you read of the visions that he got, that's what God did for him. He strengthened him, strengthened him to preach, strengthened him to minister to God's people in their hour of need. All right, now moving on further to the manifestation of Adonai, just opening it up as we see this God coming from a distance. The first thing we want to look at in verses 5 through 14 are the angels, the glorious angels that attended God. He spends several verses describing what they were like. 
Look with me in verse 5 down to verse 9. Within it there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof and they gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, were human hands. As for their faces and wings of the four of them, their faces touched one another, or their wings rather touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Each went straight Forward. I'm sorry, we're going to go down to verse 14 here. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an angel. Beings with four faces. What is this? Such were their faces, verse 11. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward wherever the Spirit was about to go. They would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. And the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. And at the sight of God's angels, Ezekiel is overwhelmed, isn't he? By these majestic, glorious attendants of the King of Kings. It's no wonder when you read visions like this describing angels, why when angels came down to earth and appeared to men, they often fell on their faces and worshipped angels. These are creatures made by God, but incredibly glorious, incredibly powerful. Unlike human beings, they're above us in the pecking order. Spiritual beings that burn with fire and glory in the presence of the King of Kings. I was talking to Pastor Sarvram and Mr. Ghazi here before we came up. and It sheds light on what Jesus said in, in Matthew 10, I think it's verse 32. That he who will confess me before men, I will confess before the angels of God. What's the significance of that? When you die and are ushered into the presence of God in heaven, there will be other beings, glorious, majestic, spiritual angels. A glorious, heavenly host. When you get into the midst of important people, it's kind of nerve-wracking. Especially when you get to heaven. But Jesus will say, Adam, come here. You were my servant. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord in the presence of glorious, burning beings. The Lord Jesus will confess us. Let that encourage us, brethren, to confess him before men. Before sinful men around us who don't have anything like this glory and this power. Let us confess our Savior before men that he might confess us before such great beings. But what about this description? Straight where their legs, Ezekiel says, with feet like that of a calf. 
They sparkled like bronze. These angels, in other words, are a picture of strength and of power. They are bull-like armed guards ready to defend their God and do His bidding. Their wings touched each other. Bach and others in commenting on this speak of the fact that these angels are in complete harmony with one another in their task. Angels touching one another. They're united in their purpose and in harmony in their obedience and service of the Lord. Dwelling together in complete unity with their sole purpose to serve the living King. To do the bidding of their God and to support one another in that effort. There is no disunity in heaven. There is just unity and strong binding together of purpose and of goal and of action. You get the picture of these angels that they're a wall that will not be penetrated and a force to be reckoned with. The hosts of heaven over which our God is Lord, over which our Savior leads. Their faces, we read, didn't turn when they moved. They didn't have to turn. They had four of them. Four faces looking in every direction. Four beings, angelic beings that could see in all directions. In other words, as the guards of God, as the leader of the hosts of heaven, these cherubim, they have no blind side. They can see everything in all directions on the field of battle throughout the whole universe. Like this is a fighting force you want on your side. Nothing takes them by surprise. They're protecting the north, the south, the west, and the eastern flanks of God. No one will surprise them. And anyone who approaches the Lord of heaven must deal with them first. These are the ones Jesus had in mind. When being arrested, he said in Matthew 26, 53, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I mean, beings like this, this is only four. But God would give him legion if He wanted to. And nothing would stop them. And it, it reveals to us the willingness of Christ to die. That's the only reason Jesus could die on the cross is because he was willing to do it. Is because he commanded the angels stay there. Stay in heaven. This is the will of my father. What force must it have taken? Think with me. What restraint for these glorious angels as they watched the son of God who they worshiped in the glory of heaven, covering their faces, shouting, holy, holy, holy. As they saw the Son of God treated with such contempt by men, what restraint it must have taken to hold them back. The righteous indignation they must have felt. And wonder. And mystery. Why? As they watch the king of kings die in the place of sinners. The only time these angels open up the shield wall for God is when he walks out from behind them. 
or when he allows his people in spirit to come before God in prayer through Christ as our intercessor. I mean, it gives a whole new meaning to coming before the throne of God. And to even get to the throne, you've got to get past these creatures. How do you do that? How do we dare approach the throne? It's through Christ, through the Lord Jesus. What a privilege we have to come to God in prayer. Consider their faces and posture, secondly, from verse 10 down to 11. As for the form of their faces, each had a human face. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left, and all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. These angels are described in terms of the most stately, powerful, and majestic creatures on earth. They have the faces of humans, bulls, lions, and eagles, all four of them. They soar quickly with eagle-like eyes to see their enemy and to get exactly to the place they have to go. Over the obstacles of air, these stately eagle-like creatures get to where they have to go with precision and knowledge at the beck and command of God. There is no hindrance. They get to where God sends them instantly. They see where they need to go and with precision get there. They're strong as the ox. Think of the ox in those days, in ancient days. This would have been familiar language in the people in those days who used oxes, not kabotas, to till up the hard ground. Animals pulled plows through the hard, rocky ground that needed to be tilled up and sown with seed. They can plow up the hardest ground. They can do powerful work that men can't do. Just like an ox working a field who moves through obstacles to accomplish the purposes of men, so the angels are able to plow through Every obstacle to accomplish the purposes of God, nothing can stand between them and accomplishing the purpose of God. They'll bull through it, they'll accomplish it, and nothing will hinder them. As we read of these angels and the description of their faces, we would expect God's angels and the heavenly hosts to be described like this. We read they had a human face. They have reason. They have wisdom as men do. The capacity to think, which puts us at the top of God's creation. Look at the freedom and speed of their movements. Verse 10. And each went straight forward wherever the Spirit was about to go. They would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing forth from the fire. And the living beings ran back and forth like like bolts of lightning. The movement of these angels is described. Instant and immediate. They're as fast as the bolt of lightning. Always ready, always quick to accomplish the command and bidding of the Lord. Obeying immediately and moving freely in obedience. And speedily at the command of the King of Kings. This commander in chief of chiefs. 
These are his angels. Adonai, the supreme ruler of the universe. These are the angels that have attended him. These are the angels that do his bidding. For who, brethren? For you and for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let the nations rage. He raises his voice. That's all God has to do, and the earth melts. This is our God, still on his throne. This is the supreme ruler of the universe, still ruling, no matter who our president is, no matter which nation is the superpower of the world, no matter what threats we face. This is true for our brethren struggling for life and for ministry and to protect children in Myanmar with no guns because the nation banned guns. And now the people are running from a tyrannical government being blown up, suffering at the hands of murderers released from prison by the government. They've got threats all around them and in their midst. And yet God, our King, still rules and reigns. And even they can be still and know that he is God. And nothing of what they suffer will thwart the purpose of God. And what Jesus said is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Man, we got to be reminded that we're on the winning team. We're on the winning side. Because the Lord is with us. Because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, this God described here, is our stronghold. This is not army, marines, air force, or space force, whatever that's going to look like. The angels are Adonai's force. And nothing in our day, as you read of these beings, can overcome them. Powerfully equipped and competent. Now if the glory of angels, these cherubim, be like this, what must the glory of God be like? We haven't even gotten to Him. These These are created beings. And they're so completely majestic and amazing. And mesmerizing. Brethren, the reality is it's not just the world that God created that declares his glory. Heaven declares the glory of God too. In beings like this that he has made. They all reveal this more glorious, majestic king of kings. It's no wonder often they were mistaken for God and worshipped. And the angels had to say, no, 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 no. I'm a servant like you. Worship the Lord God alone. And the comfort we should have as we consider these armed guards, this powerful force, these heavenly, this heavenly host. If the Almighty be with us, so will his army be with us. I mean, I, I can't even fathom someone in this room this morning would continue in rebellion against the King of Kings that you wouldn't repent right now and ask God to have mercy on your soul. Think about how glorious God is. Think about how glorious his angels are. Think about if God's angels are against you. 
It's not a place you want to be in. It's not a position you want to be in outside of Christ and in sin, living in sin and in rebellion to this God. You don't want to be in that position. I pray today would be a day where you begin to sense and understand consciously who God is like, that you would fear him, that it would be the beginning of wisdom for you. You would begin to listen to him and not your sin and not the world and not the flesh. All right, moving on to Ezekiel's wheels. Ezekiel's wheels are often referred to that way, aren't they? Sometimes the subtitles in your Bibles, they're really God's wheels that Ezekiel got to see. But what, what, what's up with these things? Like, what was he looking at? What was he so caught by and captivated by? Their unique beauty and workmanship. That's one thing. Look at verse 15. Now as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims... They were lofty and awesome, really big wheels, really big rims, the kind of wheels that get your attention. And all four of them were full of eyes round about. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose close behind them, for the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went. And whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close behind them, for the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Seven verses taken up with these wheels that Ezekiel's describing. Incredible. Next to each of the four angels. What in the world is Ezekiel seeing? What are these wheels all about? Now, based on other commentators and living in the ancient world and references to these war machines in Scripture Itself, it seems to be a description of the Lord's glorious and heavenly chariot. Ezekiel's captivated by the vehicle and the wheels that accompany it. Mesmerizingly huge and uniquely beautiful. Their appearance, again from 18, and workmanship was like sparkling topaz, and their rims, verse 18, high and awesome, with eyes all around them. Block in his commentary says that some describe these eyes around the rim of the wheels as the flashing of nail fittings attached to the outside of the, of the chariot wheels. We, we see sort of illustration of this in our day when you see the trucks with the wheel, wire, uh, with the wheel well and you have the rivets around the wheel or the wheel itself has specific design, maybe really big wheels on a truck with studs all around it so that when you look at the vehicle, your eyes and your attention are drawn to the wheels and it's supposed to convey that, look, this, ta- this truck is tough. You don't want to mess with it. And it can do a lot of work. And, 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 of course, the pride of men as well. 
what's the image? I'm tough. Don't mess with me. Look at the truck that I'm driving. Well, with men, it's not so and not true. Because we're as weak as the grass, the Bible says. A little too much heat and we are gone. We are fragile beings. We are not as big and bad and tough as we think we are. One little accident in that truck, one little bump of your head, and you're in the grave. Who is man to think he's anything that would be consistent with tough and powerful? We are as weak and as frail as the grass, but God is not. And he's got a vehicle that's powerful, that's exquisite, that, that, that just oozes confidence into the people who this chariot is for. Now, Bloch believes they're not literal eyes as they're described here, but a precious ancient stone that was cut into an eye-shaped pebble. And these Pebbles were exquisitely all around the wheel. At least that's what it looked like. This is God's heavenly chariot, brethren. With wheels befitting the supreme ruler of the universe. Awesome and beautiful and intimidating to the enemy. And think about it. God shows up in full light in Babylon upon this glorious chariot. That's another thing about God. He doesn't come and camouflage into the enemy camps of Babylon. He comes in the full radiance of his glory. If others could see him, what could they do? God doesn't have to fight guerrilla warfare. He can come right out into the open on the battlefield. And nothing can wound him. Nothing can hurt him. Man, this is our God. This is our king. This is the one who is for us. Consider their power and freedom of movement. Their appearance and their workmanship were as if one wheel were inside another wheel. Maybe there's some sort of gyroscope being described here. A gyroscope is a revolving wheel within a sphere or circle. When in movement, that wheel generates enough power and force to keep the gyroscope in the same position if you've ever had one as a kid or if you've ever seen these in science class. In other words, there's, there is resistance in the gyroscope when it's spinning. Resistance to being moved from side to side, like it resists being moved. It wants to go in one direction. Interestingly, gyroscopes are still used today in airplanes and helicopters. They rotate vertically and it gives a sense of, of how, of what direction the airplane is, is turning. The gyroscope always stays vertical to the earth as it spins. So the description of Ezekiel possibly speaks of wheels that are enhanced to move anywhere and importantly without resistance. Once the gyroscopic wheels of God's chariot get moving, nothing will stop them. And it moves this vehicle wherever and whenever without the ability of humans to overcome or resist. Whenever they move, they moved in any of their four directions. 
without turning as they move. Instantly to the left. Oh, I need to go back. Instantly backward. This is not a vehicle like a tank that's turning to get into position that can be flanked. No. Instantly in every and all. (laughs) It's like an ancient like dream for people who battled and went to war. Their locomotive source of power, their locomotive power source in animation, just as the angels worked in perfect harmony with one another, so the movement of the wheels was in perfect sync with that of the angels. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them, and whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. But we read in verses 20 through 21, the ultimate power and guiding influence of the wheels was the same as that of the angels. It was the Spirit of God. Wherever the Spirit wanted them to go, both angels and chariot, they went. The same Spirit of God would fill Ezekiel, would be his ministry's power and the directing influence of what he would say. Why am I saying this? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and that's what he wants you to hear. Everything in God's army follows him perfectly in every detail and according to every which way that the Spirit guides and directs. And this is what it means, brethren, to be spirit-filled. We operate in harmony with God's will. Whether we eat, drink, or in whatever we do, as the Apostle Paul writes, it is all for the glory of God. Just like the Lord Jesus, the perfect example of obedience, always did those things. Pleasing to Him. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled. Got an example here in the angels and even in the chariot. An example to rebellious Israelites. These are God's angels. This is God's chariot. Who are you? You are God's people. You should live your life like these angels do. Like this vehicle does. Spirit filled. Going in the direction God wants you to go. Living in the way God wants you to live. Turning from sin. Battling sin. Fighting sin. Repenting of sin. And seeking every day to live. In a way that pleases the Lord. It's a picture of how Israel should live right before them as Ezekiel reveals it to them. Part of Adonai's heavenly chariot. It's powered by the Spirit of God. Four heavenly angels with incredible and awesome wheels that go wherever the Lord directs. Do we need the Lord to come to our aid? Do we need Him to come down from heaven and to help us? In an instant, this vision should assure us that he's able. That you can call upon him. Because he is near. No matter where we are. What an encouragement to Israelites. They're no longer near the temple. 
They're no longer in Israel, the promised land. They've been removed from that land. They're living far away in exile in a pagan country. And guess what they find? Guess who they find? God is still with them. That God is still with them. And He doesn't need a nation to be present. He doesn't need the temple. He can come to them while they're by the river Chabar. Wherever God's people call on Him. In truth and in spirit. He is there in power and in glory and in an instant. With us. So much so that we can be still. And know that He is God. This applies to circumstances. Not just physical location. But we go through different circumstances in life. Different trials. Different difficulties. Different things that test us. The Lord never promised to not test us. To, 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 to save us from all hardship and difficulty. To direct us away from the valley of the shadow of death. No, Psalm 23 and David said, It's not that the Lord always brought me out of the valley of the shadow of death or difficulty. It was that He was with me. His rod and His staff comforted me. Isn't this the great blessing for us? We're reminded of this right now. No matter what circumstance, no matter the valley of the shadow of death you're going through, God is there with you. And you can have a peace. You can have strength in your soul. Because of that, Nebuchadnezzar's wall, Nebuchadnezzar's scouts, and his watchmen, God slipped right by them. Undetected and undeterred to be with his people. It's an incredible vision. An incredible encouragement to Ezekiel and the believing remnant. They're crushed, but they can be encouraged. They're going through trial, but the last chapter hasn't been written. They're separated from Israel, from the the land, from their homes, but they're not separated from God. What an encouragement. He shows us, he shows up like this to assure us To assure them that all is well. When the battle looks lost, behold your God, who is still reigning and ruling supreme. And I've not even gotten to God. These are his angels and his chariot. How much more awesome is the Lord of hosts? To have angels like this. To have a chariot like this. The glory of Adonai. His holiness is spoken of here in Ezekiel 1.22. Now over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. 
I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads, verse 25. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne like lapis Luzule in appearance, and on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upwards something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it, and from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. It was technicolor, this vision of glory. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. That was all Ezekiel could take. Once he sees the Lord sitting upon his throne, in all of this glory that words are failing him to describe, it's so majestic, he's so amazing, he's so high and exalted and lifted up above even the angels and the chariot that he can't take it, he can't even continue to look. He doesn't even say like a kid, Show me more. He's had enough. And before he dies, he looks downward to the ground and is flattened in the presence of the Almighty. And this God is above the living beings. Notice all of the description and the time he takes to describe the expanse, the space between the chariot and the angels and the Lord. He's up here. He's above, and as I see the angels, they're covering themselves. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, who is to come. The separation of God is revealed here. The angels are glorious, the chariots glory, but they're nothing compared to He who is holy, unique, separate. Completely unique. There's no one like it. And what does he see? The throne of heaven. And who does he see? Well, it's Adonai. It's the supreme ruler of the universe. And he seems to be okay. He doesn't seem to be unnerved. He doesn't seem to be worried about the situation we're in. About his light apparently being snuffed out. The temple's about to be destroyed in another ten years. Doesn't matter. He doesn't feel as if he's going to be destroyed in all glory and power, sitting, not standing, sitting at peace, sitting with a calm around him, with a glory around him, with a confidence around him. And Ezekiel would preach to his countrymen, you can have confidence because they're taking away our land, but God's still upon his throne. He's there. I saw him. It was like the appearance of a man. I didn't get that. What was that all about? We were talking before coming up here, Pastor Sar, Mr. Gaza, and myself. It's, it's most likely Ezekiel saw Jesus, brethren. Just like Isaiah did. John says, Isaiah, saw the Lord Jesus upon his throne, and Isaiah said, similar vision. 
is Ezekiel seeing the Lord Jesus not only presently reigning, but maybe a vision of his exalted state in the future when he would go to the cross and even death couldn't conquer God. He was raised from the dead victorious over sin, Satan, and the world to save his people. And he was exalted to the right hand of majesty where he sits on the throne of glory. Fully God, and yes, fully man. Is this who Ezekiel is seeing? It's going to be okay today, and it's going to be okay tomorrow, and it's going to be okay because we're part of a kingdom, as Daniel describes it, that will know no end. You see, America isn't guaranteed that. The kingdom of America is not what Daniel saw when he described a kingdom that will know no end. But what about our freedoms? What about our freedom of religion? What about our freedom of speech? What about our freedom of this and freedom of that? What about our country? God doesn't need our freedoms. And we don't need this country to be at peace. We're part of a greater country, a heavenly country. We're part of a kingdom that will know no end. Whose king will reign eternally. Guess what? The throne that Jesus sits upon is not up for re-election. Elections are unnerving, aren't they? What's going to happen? Who's going to be elected? Who's going to be the new leader? This is the great thing when you come into the church. There never is a new leader. It's always the same king. And he's a king who dies for his people. Who came into the world to save his people. Who went to the cross in the place of his people so we could avoid it. Who shelters you like a hen does her chicks from the storm. And the wrath of God one day will be poured out upon all the ungodly. But we will be safe under the shadow of the Almighty. Under the wings of Jesus as he puts his arms out upon the cross. He covered all of his people and bore the wrath our sins deserved. And died and was buried and was raised victorious. That is our king, brethren. He is our comfort. This is the supreme ruler of the universe. And because he's still upon the throne, we can be still. No matter what political climate we live in, no matter what happens to the culture, we can be still. Memorize Psalm 46. Get it into your soul and into your heart. We can be still and know that he is God. Ain't ever going to change. All praise to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time where we could, we could, with Ezekiel, see through a mirror dimly this glorious vision of your presence, of your calmness, of your stateliness and majesty and uniqueness and holiness. And in spirit, we fall on our faces before you, Heavenly Father. And we thank you that you are for us. Encourage us. Encourage us with the thought that if you are for us, who can be against us? You who did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us, how will you not also freely with him give us all things? 
Give us peace in the midst of cultural and political chaos and discouragement. May our peace be connected to you, Lord. And may you give us calmness and grace and a sense that everything's going to be okay. We thank you that that is available for your people. And we pray for those who don't know you this morning. As they have seen through the preaching, through the vision of Ezekiel, something of the glory and majesty of God, Lord, they would even this day repent and call out upon you, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Humble them, Lord, in their souls. Do what we cannot do. And save them for their good and for your glory. As you saved us, Lord, we are all undeserving. Recipients of grace and mercy. The only thing we deserve is to go to hell. But you had mercy upon us. Have mercy upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.